My name is Bailey Boer. I have been here permanently, I guess you could say, for a few months, but my husband and I were trying out a few different churches before COVID, and we were coming here every couple of weeks, I would say, so on and off for the past three years. I think that hearing other people's perspectives on God's Word can open kind of a new view of it. So if I read the same thing myself all the time, like I might come away with a new understanding, but I think hearing how other people have applied God's Word to their own lives or how they've experienced God in a different way than I have, I think that gives me an even bigger picture of who God is and um, how He loves everyone. And we're all so different and individual. And I think that God kind of is, His image is kind of displayed differently in different people and different cultures. And so the more you hear someone else's understanding of God's Word, it kind of makes your picture of God bigger than just what I would know on my own. Isn't that cute, Bill? <laughs> well, if you are newer with us, you picked a great week to be new. We are kicking off a new series, uh, as you saw entitled, uh, Fuel the Five Factors that Fill Your Faith. And the reason it's a great week to be new is, well, A, no one likes coming in the middle of something. So you're catching week one of a five-week series. And more so, it's really a reflection of, okay, what is this whole church thing about? What is it trying to get after? And at the end of the day, it really is a place to fuel our faith in God and the elements that are part of it. So it's a great week uh, to be starting out with us. Uh, if you are newer, my name is Brian. Uh, I look forward to looking at God's Word with you here, where we are going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So I'd invite you, if you want to, to turn in a Bible uh, here in the West Auditorium. Also, those of you joining us in the East Auditorium, good to have you, as well as those online. Um, and so even as you turn there, and again, regardless of where you're kind of at on that continuum, whether, you know, the church thing has been a part of your life since, you know, kind of in utero, like you've just been raised in it, or you're kind of new to the whole church thing. I think enough of us, we all know that when it comes to the person of Jesus, that he is accredited for doing some pretty amazing things. Uh, you know, he healed some people, you know, even raised people from the dead. Uh, you could say the whole thing that we're actually even doing here, like this whole church deal, is predicated on this reality that Jesus himself raised from the dead. So pretty amazing things that amaze us about Jesus. But did you know there's actually something that we read in the scriptures that amazed Jesus? Like we get that we're amazed by Jesus, but there's actually something about every day you and me that when Jesus encountered it, he said that he was amazed by it. Uh, and I think if there's something I'd want to know, it's like, okay, if there's something that can amaze the Son of God, God in the flesh, and that I could be a part of it, like, Bring it on. Tell me about it. Uh, and so I want to share that with you in a couple of instances that we see uh, in the scriptures. One is in Matthew chapter 8. It's the story of a Roman centurion, uh, Roman, like, basically a military official, who one of his employees, his servant, is uh, at home suffering with some type of paralysis. And on behalf of him, he encounters Jesus, and he asks Jesus to get involved, to see if he can heal him. And Jesus offers to go to the man's house and this is what the Roman centurion responds. He says this to Jesus. He says, hey, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof because if you just say the word, I believe my servant will be healed. And Matthew, the gospel writer, he reports this. He says that when Jesus heard this, that Jesus, he was amazed. 
He was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. With such great faith. And so we see that Jesus is amazed by faith. And then similarly, but actually in a turn of events, Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus is in his hometown, actually, his hometown of Nazareth, and he is doing miracles and teaching, and the people, they start to see what Jesus is doing, and they actually reduce Jesus to saying, hey, isn't this, isn't this just the carpenter? Like, isn't that just Joseph and Mary? So I'm like, who does this guy think he is? To which Jesus responds, interestingly, that he was amazed at their lack of faith. And isn't that interesting? Two situations, one subject, faith, same reaction, amazement from Jesus, but for two completely different reasons. Great faith, as well as amazement at a lack of faith. Or maybe to lean into the title of this series, you know, Jesus, you could say, would be amazed by a fueled up and filled up faith, but may be equally amazed by an empty faith as well. And so regardless of where we find ourselves on the faith spectrum, it would seem just based on Jesus' response alone that if there was a a subject, a topic to trump all topics, that the topic of faith would be a pretty important one to give some attention to here in our conversations here as a church because it's what amazed Jesus and it's something that got his attention and so it should get ours as well. And so that's what we're going to give our attention to over the next five weeks. We are going to look at uh, specifically, you could say, the five factors that we want to examine over the next five weeks that we could say fuel and fill up our faith, that strengthen our faith. And as we look at these, it's important to know that these aren't like something we invented uh, by any means, but more identified, that they are already true and they have been identified and somewhat codified in this series to be able to uh, not reduce faith to like a formula. That would be That would be awful, uh, because faith is obviously much more complex and richer and bigger than some type of five-step formula. But instead, to, uh, you could say, identify what are the markers that we know are already true so that we can have our attention, our antenna, our ears open, our eyes open to those things so that we can intentionally grab a hold of them in our lives. Uh, And and these five factors, we did not uh, personally discover these, uh, but really they were stumbled upon uh, actually in our men's mentoring ministry. In one of the books that we read in that that, that, uh, program, if you will, uh, they talk about these five factors. And uh, we uh, could say this series in many ways is inspired and largely informed by those discoveries. And as we step into that, one of the things that we are going to discover about faith, the way that faith works is that in a lot of ways, faith it's like a muscle, that like, just like a muscle that when a muscle is worked, it is strengthened. But if it is left alone, it atrophies. And so for those of you who are involved in any kind of strength training, you know there's some just fundamental foundational movements that everyone should have incorporated just to be able to move well in life. Like you always want to make sure that you're focusing something on your lower body and then on the upper body that you've got to have something that is involved in some pushing and some pulling and then kind of goes out from there. But those are some functional, foundational movements that are part of everyday life, the building blocks uh, of our, our muscles and our skeletal system. And you could say in the same way, that we're going to look at what are these 
fundamental, these foundational factors that can fill and fuel our faith. Not saying that there's only five, but that there are at least five that we wanna make sure that we all are aware of in our life. So that's what we're gonna get after. Um, but before we do that, one of the things I think we have to answer, kind of a presupposition to the whole deal that we're gonna fuel our faith is, what exactly is faith? Like, what is this thing that it, we are trying to fuel, that we are trying to fill up? Because if we don't know what it is, we don't know how it is that we can actually fill it up. And so rather than answer that question, give you that definition, you know, head on, if you will, uh, we're actually gonna let the first of our five factors reveal to us what faith actually is. So it's kind of like a two-for-one sermon, a great day to show up. You're gonna find out what faith is and the first factor that can fuel it, okay? And so the first factor that's also gonna inform what faith is that we're gonna look at here today as we step into these five factors, the first factor is practical teaching. That practical teaching is the first of the five factors that we're gonna examine when it comes to something that fills up and fuels your faith. Uh, and just kind of anecdotally, just to kind of make a case for this as we jump into it, it was actually uh, much of the catalyst of everything we looked at in our most recent series. If you were with us, we just did a six-week series on the book of Nehemiah called A Great Work, and a huge catapult into the whole people of God actually moving forward in the revival and the things that God called them to do. It actually was rooted in them receiving practical teaching. We see it this way in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse eight. It says that when they read from the book of the law of God, they made it clear and they gave meaning so that people understood what was being read, a.k.a. practical teaching. They are, they are preaching and teaching the word of God. That's what we do here, that we take the book of the book, you know, the Bible, everything is based on that, and that it's in practical teaching that we make it clear give the meaning and make it understood so that we can actually live out what it is that we are learning and reading from, making it practical, making it practical, okay? And so it's why we as a church, week in and week out, are committed to applicable, biblical, practical teaching as a constant and consistent building block of our church. Uh, you'll, you'll hear me say a lot around here, hey, remember, we're not just here for an hour, you know, singing songs and preaching sermons, that, uh, that, that, that we're going somewhere, that we're on a, a journey together, and that journey is towards our mission of becoming devoted followers of Jesus through what we learn in his word as it practically instructs and teaches us. And that's not just something that goes on just in this room. Right now, as we speak, on the other side of the building, we have our, our, our first kids ministry doing the same thing, intersecting with kids right where they're at, practical teaching for the lives that they live as they get ready to go off to school. As we think about our students starting student life here this afternoon, they're gonna receive practical teaching that intersects from God's word into the reality of the living of their lives. Uh, it's why we do uh, the series that comes after this series. We're getting ready for our At The Movies series. And if you're unfamiliar with what that is, that's where we take modern day movies and let them illustrate biblical truths for the living of our lives. And let me just go ahead and remind you early now, uh, you know, as much as you love or maybe don't love that particular series, that to remember it is not actually primarily a series here for you, those of us who are already here, but that as that content, while it's biblically based and illustrated by the movies of our day, just like Jesus would have done with parables of his day, taking visual themes from his day to illustrate truth, uh, that is the exact reality of why we do that, that we want to uh, relate where people are already at, aka I'm up for a movie, but maybe not church, and maybe the two can come together. 
And so to know now that to show up to at the movies without, you know, just your crew or just yourself is kind of miss the point of at the movies. The whole deal is to bring that friend, that family member, that coworker, that neighbor who might not otherwise uh, maybe be up for church in a particular day, but on that particular day might give it a shot. Uh, because we want to partner with you. We want to partner with helping you discover, or your friend discover, your family member discover, your coworker discover what it is that you already have. And that is hopefully the good news of a faith in Jesus Christ that is fueled not just in this life, but for all of eternity. And so to partner with you here in a couple weeks, you're going to receive uh, some, some handy-dandy invitations with uh, a bag of poppable popcorn uh, attached to it, which I don't I, I don't know what unpoppable popcorn would be, so I guess I should have just said popcorn, but nevertheless... Uh, Microwave popcorn, I think, was the word I'm looking for. So those will be a fun invitation to be able to hand out. Uh, I think they're putting up, like, some billboards around the community. Just, again, just as a reference point for you to be able to acknowledge, like, yeah, that's our church, and we'd love to have you be uh, a part of that. Because it's practical teaching. It's, it's these kinds of things that we see all throughout the scriptures of changing people's lives and leading, really, to all the other things that fuel our faith in the beginning. It starts with an understanding of God's word. I love one encounter of this in the book of Acts chapter 8 where practical teaching completely transforms uh, a person's life. Chapter 8 of Acts, there's this uh, follower of Jesus by the name of Philip. And he uh, is leading him to interact, to intersect with this uh, Ethiopian official. And uh, as Philip does that, he comes up to his chariot and he says he, he hears him reading the scriptures, reading the scriptures. It says that Philip ran up to the chariot, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, to which Philip asked him, he said, hey, do you, do you understand what it is that you are reading, Philip asked, to which the Ethiopian eunuch or the official, he says, how can I, he said unless someone explains it to me. And so it goes on that uh, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized and so he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Practical teaching. Not to just fuel the faith, but we actually began this man's faith. Not just hearing the word, but actually doing what the word said in his commitment to be baptized. Uh, and in fact, we're pretty excited here in just a little bit of time. Uh, at 1.30 here in the afternoon at the lake, we're gonna be celebrating that same decision uh, that uh, people, through practical teaching of understanding baptism upon a profession of faith, that as it says in Romans 6, they are participating in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that just as he died and was buried and rose up from the grave, that that's what we uh, celebrate in baptism. We're participating in that by dying to self, burying sin, celebrating the forgiveness and the washing away of that as we rise to a new life led by Jesus. Uh, so we're excited to celebrate that with our friends here in the church. And if that's something, a decision that you have yet to make, either to follow Jesus or as a result of following Jesus, to follow him in obedience in baptism, it's not too late. What, in the words of the, the Ethiopian, like what's standing in the way of me being baptized? Nothing, nothing. And so you can still be a part of that here today. You can go to the website and uh, let us know that you're interested and we'll get connected with you here even between now and then and we'll be excited to celebrate that decision with you. And so practical teaching, it's a, it's a powerful reality that is a gateway to so many other things. Uh, and as I was just thinking about that for my own life, my own journey, kind of like, hey, I might eat my own dog food here. I, it's, for me, it's been 
it's been critical because I think not growing up in church, I didn't know a lot of the things. Like I didn't know, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, that Father Abraham had many sons. Like I, I didn't know those songs. I didn't know those truths. I didn't go to those vacation Bible schools. And, and so I remember as a teenager when I came to church and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and was baptized and all of that, uh, there was still a pretty big gap in what I didn't know and what I wanted to learn. And I remember I think the first time I really I guess you could say, encountered the power of practical teaching. Uh, I was actually driving to youth group, and I remember pulling into the parking spot, and it was time to go in, but I just couldn't get out of my car. Like, I was just stuck there because on the radio was this Christian uh, preaching program uh, called The Alternative uh, by Dr. Tony Evans. Some of you might be familiar with him, and I could not shut it off. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to him, and, and he's preaching from 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about, where, where the scriptures talk about, we, uh, in Christ, whoever is in Christ is a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. And the way that he was teaching this practically and illustrating it uh, was he was talking about, uh, frankly, for those of you who are teachers of grade school, we all learned, you remember how uh, butterflies become caterpillars through you know, metamorphosis and all of this? What he was saying is that uh, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it's a complete transformation. That, uh, that a caterpillar is not, uh, it's not an upgraded caterpillar. It's not a caterpillar 2.0. And that in the same way, that when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, uh, we are not a version of ourselves 2.0. We are not an improved version of ourselves. It wasn't a Brian 2.0. It is the old has gone. The old is gone, and you are a new creation, not in your own doing, but of what Christ has done in you. You are a new creation. You are a butterfly, if you will. And that might sound just like a simple, kind of basic, fundamental truth, but for me, it was revolutionary because I realized that this whole Christian journey was not me striving and trying to do better what Jesus said, but that it has already been bestowed on me because I didn't have the power to do it myself, and that the rest of this journey is growing in the freedom of living and learning how Jesus taught me to live and developing more into more of that new creation that I already am by the gift of grace in Jesus, nothing of my own. And so practical teaching. It's a powerful thing that I know it, you know, you could say hits me. Uh, I think it's a, uh, a powerful thing that probably hits a lot of us. And, and I think the reason for that uh, is because that's how Jesus chose to hit us. That as you read Jesus, as you look at his teaching, that it is practical teaching that he gave us. I mean, again, Jesus, he did some amazing things that should amaze us. You know, he healed crippled people. He cures diseases. He makes blind people see. He raises people from the dead. And yet over and over, isn't it interesting that what the scriptures report about Jesus and the people around him, it says that the crowds, the people, they were actually amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at what he said, even given the amazement of the things that he did. You could say if it's faith that we examined earlier that amazed Jesus, well, then it is practical teaching that leads us to have an amazing faith. Uh, I mean, we've all heard of amazing grace, right? We know that. But it's in that amazing grace that we can kind of grow up into that through building an amazing faith, through living out the practical teachings of Jesus and the Word of God. Uh, it's interesting, actually, this particular section here where it says that the people were amazed, it actually follows Matthew chapter 7, uh, three chapters of the longest discourse of Jesus' practical teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want some practical teaching from Jesus, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it'll mess with you in a good and bad way. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. And, and it's crazy. Like, when you read it, a lot of it, it might actually not sound that 
surprising to you, but for the time, it was revolutionary. Because again, it's kind of been embedded in our culture, a lot of Jesus' teaching over the last like 2,000 years. But then it was upside down, it was next level, it was stuff that people had not ever heard before. Uh, because the religious leaders of that day, what Jesus was correcting, uh, a lot of them had, you could say, overinflated some of the laws of God beyond what they were intended to be, and then kind of on the inverse, some things that were really important to God, they, they kind of dumbed down. And so Jesus comes and he sets the record straight in a lot of these areas in the Sermon on the Mount. He would say things like, hey, you've heard it said, you've heard it taught, but I tell you it's this way. Uh, for example, one of the things that's pretty powerful with Jesus, you know, he says, you've heard it said, you know, you know, you know love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. Well, I say, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. And I'm thinking, man, like, I'm lucky if I, like, remember to pray for someone I like, let alone my enemies. Or, or how about this? Jesus says, you know, you know, do not commit adultery. But Jesus goes next level. And he says, if you even look at someone lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Uh, or, or say you want to, like, help someone with an issue in their life. Jesus says, if you want to help, if you want to get the, he says, the, the speck of sawdust out of their eye, he says, time out. Make sure you're not a hypocrite with a plank of an issue sticking out of your eye. First, focus on getting that plank out of your eye before you are in a healthy place to be able to help someone get the speck out of their eye. Or you might have heard Jesus said, you know, if they force you to go a mile, go an extra mile. That's where that, that saying comes from, going the extra mile. Or the reality of what, again, the whole Christian faith, it's based on this idea that we are forgiven but Jesus says, if you want to experience the forgiveness of God in your life, he says, then you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to practically figure out and grow in how you live out what it means to forgive anyone that you have issue with. And so Jesus' teaching, it is real, it is functional, it's gritty, it's practical, it's applicable. It is to be a part of the actual living of your life. And so to put an exclamation mark on this, as Jesus goes through his practical teaching, and this is the passage I asked you to turn to. Sorry, we took the scenic route to get there. But Matthew chapter seven, Jesus puts this exclamation mark on all of those practical teachings, saying it this way. He says in Matthew seven twenty four, he says, therefore, when it comes to this practical teaching, everyone who hears this teaching of mine, who hears these words of mine and knows them, what, no, memorizes them, nope, doesn't say that, oh, okay, believes them, Whoever believes them. No, still not that. Um, hi, uh, took notes, wrote them down, and agrees with them. It even says amen. No? Oh, here's the one. Feels convicted by them. That's what we think church is. We feel convicted. We feel kind of bad about ourselves. It's like, oh, we feel like we've done something. Let's come back next week and do it again. But still no. No, Jesus says that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Puts them into practice. Other translations say, hear these words of mine and does them, listens to my teaching and actually follows it. And it's here. It's right here that we find, discover the actual definition of faith. We discover the actual definition of faith that is not philosophical, it is not theoretical, it is practical, it is lived out. That's why our mission as a church is not to become deeper knowers or bigger believers, but actually devoted followers. 
It's like this, if, if faith was merely knowing, or faith was merely even then from there taking that next step of believing, then that would be enough. But, and this isn't, I'm not saying, this is Jesus. Jesus says that knowing and believing is enough. It is not until we put into practice, do, follow, that faith is actually accomplished. That we've actually filled up and fueled our faith. James, the brother of Jesus, he'd go on and say it this way. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Isn't that interesting? You can know, you can believe, but even to believe could mean to be deceived. Like believing alone isn't enough. Like it is, it is deceiving to just believe because he said, those who merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, you've got to actually do what it says. You have to do what it says to close the loop on faith functionally in your life. And this makes sense. I mean, think about the last series we just did. Again, if you're with us, last week we concluded that series with a commitment. Uh, many of you signed your names to uh, a, a, a kind of a Nehemiah wall that was around the building, uh, uh, representing that. Like what you're going to go know, probably not. What you're going to go believe, I doubt it. It was something that you committed to do because that's what closes the loop and connects the gap and bridges the reality of what we know and believe with what it is that we actually do and thus have a faith. Jesus, he would go on to show whether or not we, um, you could say reveal whether this faith is fueled up or filled up or if it's empty by our doing versus our not doing. He, so he goes on to explain it. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and he puts them into practice, that that person is like a wise person uh, who built their house on the rock, that the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And isn't that interesting? If those of you men who were uh, at the men's breakfast yesterday, this should sound a little familiar. Pastor Adam, he talked about uh, the idea of a wise person, uh, the idea of wisdom. And I not quite heard it this way, the way he had put it, but that wisdom is, it's, it's a reminder that wisdom is not an intellectual achievement. Wisdom is not an intellectual achievement at all. According to Jesus, that wisdom is only actualized when, according to Jesus, you actually do apply and do what Jesus actually said, that you live out what you know and believe. Or, or maybe a simpler illustration, just thinking about like our series, you know, this idea of fuel. Like we all know, regardless of what we're gonna pay for it, that we need to fuel up our cars, right? We know we need fuel to move our cars. We believe that we need fuel to move our cars. But if we don't, fill her up. I mean, we're not going anywhere because everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built their house on the rock. And Jesus, he goes on. He says that everyone who hears, again, takes notes, believes, maybe even feels convicted by. Nope. All incomplete because everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice well, that person is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, which is no foundation at all, that when the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. Some of you were around uh, when we did our Written in Red series leading up to Easter. We talked about this very thing. Uh, we, we, we actually had pictures up on the screens of like two identical houses. And it's like, what's different? And nothing at the outside. You know, both the houses looked great. They both, um, you know, again, relative to the illustration, both heard and knew and maybe even believed the words of Jesus. But what was the only difference? One of them did. 
One of them closed the loop on knowing and believing by actually doing what Jesus did by filling up and fueling faith because the only other thing that we saw that were both true in those pictures, in these stories, these two lives, is that regardless, the storms come, right? That the storm comes. Regardless of how you built your house and the foundation underneath it, the storms come. And how you built that house relative to the foundation determines how and really, frankly, even if you weather that storm. Because it's only in the doing, only in completing that, that we can take what we know and believe and actually build that foundation that actually fuels our faith. Because what happens when we build our life, and I don't think we do this intentionally. Uh, I think we think we know, I think we believe, but if we consistently don't close that loop on doing, there's this, you could say this inconsistency, this, uh, this like cognitive dissonance, a separation of incompletion and inconsistency in what we think we believe and what actually is because we're not doing what we claim to believe. And what ends up happening is not only does the storm crash your life, but sadly, and you've seen this probably in people's lives, where this inconsistency exists, is that it also crashes your faith, your relationship with God. Because one of two things happens. When there's that inconsistency between what you know and believe and don't do, you either, one, blame God, or two, conclude there is no God. Because there was never a complete faith. It was incomplete because what we knew, what we believed, wasn't actually experienced in what we did. You see, faith by design, and I mean, this is, this is not me, this is Jesus' design. His design of faith was designed to be functional. Again, not philosophical, not theoretical. And so that when we encounter the practical teaching of God's word, say on a Saturday or a Sunday service, it is by design to make a difference in the way that we functionally live our lives Monday through Friday. Uh, I heard it said this way, and I thought this was a pretty good illustration from another pastor. He says that unapplied truth, he says it's like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. And I don't know about you, but I definitely know I've got some cans of paint in my house that are not doing a whole lot of good. Uh, One day, I'm going to get to that project, or some point, we're going to make sure we open that can and put the paint on the walls. Uh, But for now, it is useless. Because, as we know, the value of paint is only in the application. And in the same way, the value of what Jesus taught, of what you know, of what you believe, the only real value at the end of the day is found in the application. And so for us, application, rubber to road, or better, paint to wall. What is that area of your life where you need to open up the can of paint, put some paint on the wall, that you need to take what you know, what you even believe, and close the loop of faith by actually doing by matching what you say and know and believe with the way that you're actually living. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. That you have spent countless amounts of energy expended on, you could say, maybe removing the specks from your spouse's eye. And you would be better, as Jesus says, to give that energy to removing the plank and the planks in your own eye to be in a healthy place to be able to offer more to your marriage. Or maybe on the flip side of that, maybe it's not marriage, maybe it's singleness. And and really trusting uh, the integrity of what God says about what it means to be single and his ways in that space and place in your life. Maybe for you, it's finding integrity at work. Or functionally trusting God with your finances. You know, Jesus said, 
if your eye has been causing you to sin. Using hyperbole, he says, hey, pluck it out. Which what Jesus is saying, he's like, do whatever it takes. Like, take the extreme step. Do whatever necessary to remove that temptation to get that sin that is taking you down and others around you possibly out of your life. Do whatever it takes. Maybe for you, it's moving forward in forgiving someone or maybe even forgiving a whole group of people. Do you need to actually start praying for an enemy? Maybe you already know exactly what it is that you need to commit to. Uh, Maybe last week you know because you wrote it down and uh, rather than just knowing and believing and you look back on this last week, it's this is the week where you take what you know and believe and committed to and you start to close that loop by doing or taking steps closer to what done actually looks like. Know, believe, but close the loop on do. And again, relative to Tony Evans' illustration, um, you don't do this on your own. You're not, you're not striving and thriving. You are a butterfly. You are a new creation in Christ, which means, just as we sang earlier, uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, has made a home inside of our chest, that this is not uh, the power within you. It is the power, excuse me, the power from you is a power within you that comes from God alone, that you can live and move, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that works in your life to be able to follow what Jesus shows us to live in our life. And in the end, as Jesus said, and it makes sense, it makes sense that the person who does these words of mine, Jesus says, that that will be wisdom. That will be a wise person who lives their life on the foundation of the rock so that when the rains come down, because we know they will, and when the streams rise, because we know that they do, and the wind, and, the way, and it beats against your life, because we know that's a part of life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But to know, because he is with us, because he is inside of you, that as you build your life functionally on the rock of his teachings implied in your life, implemented in your life, that you can be confident that your life, your faith, it will not fall, it will not fail, it will not come crashing down because your foundation is on the rock. And so for his help with that, why don't I pray for all of us as the power of the Holy Spirit does his thing in us. Heavenly Father, we pray because it is a gateway to us to express our trust and invite your Holy Spirit's power that is alive inside of our chest because that's the way you designed it. We're so thankful that we don't have to do this on our own. We're so thankful that the one who would come and live in order to die in our place, that if we can trust you with that level of reality for our eternal reality, well, then God, it only makes sense that we would be able to trust you with how you tell us to live our lives in these temporary realities, this place that is not our permanent home. And so, God, as we go forward, help us, by again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your word to, it says that these are not laborious tasks. These are, the idea of following you is not meant to be hard or difficult in the sense that it's something against what is best, but by trusting you that you have what is best for us. So in whatever area that you have, yes, brought knowledge and belief and conviction, all appropriate, God, with your help this week, may we close the loop. May we do May we stop. 
maybe whatever it is that it is that you're calling us to by the practical teaching of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, live this life that you have called us to in the best possible way to give glory to you that we might as a witness further your kingdom by the power of your work at home inside of our chest. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you are with us in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.